Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. <clears throat> Mark is the second gospel, but as we've discovered in the last few weeks in our new series on Mark, it was actually the first gospel to be written, we believe. Uh, the evidence overwhelmingly supports that. And just by way of reminder, if you're wondering why Mark is just so different uh, from the other gospels, all the gospel accounts are different. Uh, it's, it's really awesome how God, in his grace and in his wisdom, uses the personality and works through the different writers of the gospels, and they all give different perspectives. But they're, they're all testifying to the, uh, to the gospel, that is the, the, the life, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. And Mark's gospel is shorter, but it's very to the point. Uh, Mark gets to the point because what Mark is doing is he's actually recording the gospel account as Peter is preaching it in Rome. So Peter is preaching the gospel in Rome and as he's telling all these first-hand accounts of his experience with Jesus and the other apostles and John Mark would have been there, uh, that is Mark, the one who's writing the gospel, he would have been there for some of these instances but he wasn't there as much as Peter Peter's giving a first-hand account, he's preaching, and Mark is writing it down, and Mark is going to distribute this gospel throughout all of the world. And we've had this gospel for over 2,000 years, or around 2,000 years, and it has withstood the test of time, for sure. Today we're going to be in verses 21 through 28. If you'll open up your Bible, I'm reading from the New American Standard which is customary here at Grace for me to read and preach from that version. So if your Bible is a little bit different, there might be some uh, nuances there, but we're going to get to the, the meat and the point of this passage in just a moment. But if you'll take your Bible, open it up to Mark chapter 1, starting in verse 21 through 28, and we'll stop at verse 28. The Bible says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and began to teach. And they were amazed at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, saying, What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet, and come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they debated among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. I pray that God blesses the reading of his word but also as we study it this morning. <clears throat> we don't have any slides for notes but if you're a note taker you want to probably get out your pen and paper or your journal if you have, have it. I'm going to go ahead and give you kind of four things that God is telling us in this passage and then we'll come back and revisit those and break them down. Number one, God is telling us in this passage, the Holy Spirit is telling us today in this passage something about demonic world forces. We learn some specific things here 
in this passage about demonic world forces. The second thing God is telling us, he's telling us something about his own son. Something about his own son, Jesus. Thirdly, he's telling us something about our own souls. He's telling us something about our own souls. And then fourthly and finally, God is telling us something important about time. He's telling us something important about time. And all of these things that he's telling us are relevant for us today. Verse 21 and 22, we visited last week. But I wanted to repeat those two verses to give you a context for Jesus' interaction with this man who has an unclean spirit. Notice that he doesn't say he has an evil spirit, but he has an unclean spirit. Verse 21, Jesus is already called Simon or Peter, Andrew, James, and John to follow him. Last week we discovered what that means to follow Jesus. Jesus didn't say to them, believe me. Believe in me. He didn't go down there and have a long theological discussion or ask them any kind of apologetic questions. He just simply commanded them to follow him. And they did. They obeyed. They left their nets. They left their boats. And they followed Jesus. His only invitation was this. I will make you fishers of men. <laughs> you will be catching people from now on, not fish. Now they probably continued to fish we see them later on, at least by the sea, several times, eating fish, even after Jesus' resurrection. It's quite possible and probable that they did continue to fish on occasion, but Jesus was telling them at that moment, your entire life is going to change from this time onward. You might continue to catch fish, but your purpose in life is going to be to make disciples. And I believe the invitation is still, the calling is still the same for us today. Whatever line of work you're in, you're to do that with all of your might. You're to do that as a stewardship of your gifts and your talents for God. But if you're a Christian, you, you are no longer to live for yourself. You're not even, you're not even supposed to be living for your family as, as good as that is. And as honorable as that is, your purpose in life is to glorify God with every breath you have. That is your calling in life. And so they, Jesus is on his way to Capernaum, which was a hub, a bustling city at the time of trade and commerce. It was a very wealthy and affluent place. The people in the surrounding area, if Capernaum was called Scottsdale, they would have called it Snobsdale, probably. I don't know. But it was very affluent. Jesus goes into the city. And where does he go? The Bible says in verse 21, he immediately went where? Into the synagogue. Now a synagogue was a place that was unlike the temple. The temple, uh, before the captivity and then even later, uh, the temple was a place where all the people would go and worship. There were things in the temple that represented actually heaven and the person and work of Jesus Christ himself. We learn that in Hebrews. And so there was no temple in Capernaum, but there were synagogues. And synagogues were places, literally just gathering places, 
uh, for, for Jewish men, if there were 10 or more Jewish men in a city who agreed to come together, and that was a quorum, to have 10 men, Jewish men, come together and they would open up the book of the law, they would open up the Old Testament, and they would teach from the Old Testament. And this was a tradition that carried all the way back to the early scribes like Ezra, Nehemiah. Whenever Nehemiah brings out, when they bring out the book and they say, what does it say? And they continued that tradition. And so as the Jews were scattered throughout the world, they would form these meeting places, these synagogues. And Jesus went there. And so the reading of the law would have been taking place here in this synagogue. The Bible says that Jesus enters into the synagogue and he began to teach. Which was not uncommon for a first century rabbi. Visiting rabbis would come and, and if they were recognized, then they would teach. They would stand before the people. They would open up the Old Testament and they would teach. There's nothing here that actually says what Jesus taught on. In other places in the Gospels, the, the Bible talks about how Jesus, you know, spoke from the Psalms or Isaiah. He basically opened up the Old Testament and explained or exegeted passages. And this is what they were in the habit of doing. So they'd open up God's word and they would talk about it. They would theologize. They would, they would explain different philosophies and they would try different interpretive ways to understand God's word. So Jesus goes in. He has a following. He has four disciples with him. He goes in, he's recognized as a rabbi, and he begins to teach. Verse 22 shows their response. They were, what? Amazed. They were amazed at his teaching. Why? The Bible says, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. He was different. What does this mean as one who has authority? Uh, some scholars say that it was as if Jesus was giving no cross-references for his explanations. He wasn't giving Old Testament support for the conclusions he was coming to. He was simply saying, thus saith the Lord. This is how the prophets would have spoken in the Old Testament. The prophets were speaking for God. They were mouthpieces of the Lord so that when they spoke, whoever was listening in their hearing, they should take that as that was the word of the Lord. Most scholars believe that this is what this actually means when Mark is saying he spoke as one with authority. He didn't need any support because he was the living word of God. It could mean also that he was speaking with authority because he wasn't maybe standing there with an open Torah. Maybe he was just preaching and teaching from memory. He, he was the word of God made flesh. He knew every single word, every single jot, every single tittle. As he says later on, not a stroke of the law will pass until all is accomplished. He knew the word because he was the word made flesh. But there was something different about Jesus and that's the whole point. Something new was happening. Earlier in this chapter, the Bible shows how when Jesus was baptized, the Father says of the Son, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. He has authority. Everything changes when Jesus comes on the scene. And they recognize it. The people recognize it. Verse 23 says there's a man in the synagogue. When? 
Just then, just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit. And what does he do? The Bible says he cries out. He's not just standing in amazement thinking to himself, wow, what authority. No, it evokes a verbal, physical, demonstrable, tangible response. He cries out. What does he say in verse 24? What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Why is an unclean spirit referring to himself in the plural? Probably because he's not the only one who's afraid of Jesus showing up. He's got friends in low places. What do we have to do with you, Jesus? He's freaking out at this point because Jesus just showed up. And the implications of Jesus showing up with authority, the Son of God, the implications are far-reaching, not only for this unclean spirit, but for the others within the minion of demons. What do you have, what do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Most of the, of the meaning of this passage is packed into that verse. God is telling us something about demonic world forces. Number one, the demonic world forces during this time and that are still around today have a history with Jesus. This is not the first time they've heard about the Son of God. From ages past, we learn Jesus is from everlasting to everlasting. That is, He is the pre-existent Word of God. The Word made flesh. He was there in the beginning. And when Satan and all of his demons fell from heaven, and they were cast down, they knew about Jesus then as the Word of God, and then they also knew about God's redemptive plan to send Him in the flesh and to redeem all of humanity from the curse of sin. So now is the time to wake up for this demon. But he refers to Jesus, so we, we also learn something about Jesus, the Son of God here, just by what the demon says. He says, what do we have to do with you, who? Jesus of Nazareth. He doesn't say, I don't recognize this person this, this is just the Logos that John talks about. The, the Word of God made flesh. No, he refers to Jesus as a person. A man from a place living in the temporal world. What do we have to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? And then he says this. I know who you are. The Holy One of God. God tells us something not only about the demonic world forces, but about his own son. He is from everlasting to everlasting. He is fully human and fully divine. Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God. Same person.
The demonic world forces not only have a history with Jesus, but they are at work among us. What do I mean by that among us? Well, where did Jesus encounter this man with an unclean spirit? In the marketplace? At a temple for idol worship? In the synagogue? Where people have God's word open. And they're explaining it. And they're expounding it. And they're sharpening one another with it. That's where Jesus encounters a demon. In the religious world. And there are demons in the religious world today. They are hidden in unsuspected places. Now, sometimes it doesn't take long for me to listen to a false prophet or a false teacher to know they have an unclean spirit. Because, how do we know? We know how they treat God's word. How they deal with the truth. What kind of impact does the truth have when they are in its presence? Do they twist it? Do they contort it for their own means? That's certainly what the devil did with Jesus when he led Jesus out. When, when, he, when he, the Holy Spirit led Jesus out to the wilderness. And the devil tempted him. What did he use? This right here. He used scripture. He twisted it. He contorted it. How did Jesus overcome those temptations? With what? With scripture. With the truth. The way that it was meant to be understood. The way that it was meant to be shared and taught. Clearly. But this is how demonic world forces were at work then. This is how they're at work now as well. So to think that what people really need is to be in church or churched or to have religion or to be ethical To be clean would be a mistake. The only way to be clean, the only way to be forgiven, the only way to be right with God is through a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. What do you do with the truth? We also learn that demonic forces can be bothered. (laughs) This is good. They can be jostled out of their comfort zone. How are they jostled out of their comfort zone? How are they bothered? They are bothered with the relentless assault of truth. The Old Testament writer says, I have hidden thy word in my heart so that I may not sin against thee. We hide God's word, the truth in our heart. We dwell on it. We meditate on it. We cherish it. We we love it. We want it more every day. It's not a chore that we say, well, I guess I need to get in the word today. When we're aware of the demonic world forces around us, we're encouraged even the more to cling to the truth of God, to hide it within our hearts, to meditate on it, to memorize it so that we can call it to mind. These are the things God tells us about the demonic world forces. He tells us about his own son, that he is from everlasting to everlasting, that he's fully human and fully divine. We also learn something interesting here as we move on in verse 25. Jesus rebukes him. He rebukes 
this unclean spirit. What does he say? The late R.C. Sproul says we should translate this phrase, be quiet, like this. Shut up. <laughs> we, don't, we don't say that. Right? <laughs> if you asked our, our kids when they were little what the S word was in our house that they would get in trouble for, it was, it was shut up. It was, it was pretty tame in our house. Shut up and come out of him. That's it. Again, no, no theological debate. No getting into the weeds. No conversation with the demonic spirit. This is, what, this is what's very dangerous for people today. When you see these folks, these charlatans on TV and, and who say, hey, we're going to go cast out demons. They start having conversations with unclean spirits. That is stupid. Very, very stupid. You don't do that. You speak, you pray, God's word. You get to Jesus. You proclaim the truth of Jesus. Jesus shows us here, God shows us here something about his son Jesus and that's that religious small talk irritates him. It did here. Let's get to the point. That's what Jesus is doing here in verse 25. The demon would love to just sit down and go back and forth and have this conversation about who Jesus is and what he's going to do and how the demon knows where he came from and can tell him all about his childhood and all about Nazareth and all these things. We know who you are. I know who you are. That's great. Shut up. Come out of him. We also learned that the son has power and authority over the evil forces in this world. Not only did he then, but even more so now. Why? Because of what we just sang a while ago. Right? He arose from the grave. So the book of Mark is going to show us over and over and over and over again that Jesus of Nazareth, the Holy One of God, has authority. He has authority over the wind and the waves. He has authority over the demonic forces of this world. He has authority over sickness. He has authority. Why? Because it's been given to him by the Father. He calls disciples. They come. He casts out demons. They go. They leave. Brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ has authority. There is nothing in this world or in your life that falls outside of the authority of Christ. He tells us something about our own souls as we move on. Number one, human souls can be afflicted by demonic oppression. Human souls can be afflicted by demonic oppression. Verse 26, the Bible says that this unclean spirit threw this man into convulsions. He convulsed. 
The unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. Now wait a minute. I thought Jesus commanded the unclean spirit to shut up. To be quiet. So up to this point, it seems as though everyone's obeying Jesus in everything that he says. So why is it that this spirit can cry out with a loud voice? Because when Jesus said, be quiet, what he meant was, stop theologizing. Stop beating around the bush. Stop getting involved in religious small talk. That's not why I'm here. I'm here to save souls. I'm here to deliver. I'm here to save. I'm here to judge the evil in this world. Now the demon is judged. But the bystanders and the disciples are not judged at this point. Jesus is going to make that clear in Matthew 7. I haven't come to judge, right, but to save. He is coming again, though. And when he comes the second time, these bystanders cannot simply be amazed at his teaching. It's not enough. But at this point in time, the bystanders, those who are listening to him and watching what's going on, they can continue to sit on the fence. But the demon can't. He's cast out. And he screams. The second thing we learn from what God is telling us about our own souls is that human souls can be freed from demonic oppression with God's word. See, Jesus is the word made flesh, so when Jesus says, come out of him, shut up, come out of him, he has the authority of the Father to do that. What about us? How does that authority carry over to the church? Turn in your Bibles just for a moment to 2 Corinthians. I know I say this a lot, but this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. <clears throat> I hope that it encourages you, strengthens your faith this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is a letter to the church in Corinth. This is a very troubled church. Very much immersed in the spiritual. There were many people in the church who were being led astray by evil spirits. Some who were still involved in idol worship. And Paul says, the apostle says here in chapter 10 verse 3, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, I want you to see here in verse 5, when he talks about speculations and lofty things raised up against the knowledge of God, let's go back to the very first one that ever happened. All the way back to the beginning, first book of the Bible in Genesis. Did God really say? 
did God really say? That was the first lofty thing. That was the first speculation raised up against the knowledge of God. Doubting his goodness, doubting his provision, doubting his motives. It's no different today. This is the way the enemy works. To get into your head and to say, you think God's being fair to you? Look at someone else. Look at, look at so-and-so. He seems to be treating them better than he's treating you. Why are you going through all these things? Why are you having all these problems in the workplace? Why are you having problems in your marriage? Why are you having problems with your kids? Your neighbors? How are, why are you having problems in your faith? Why do you struggle so much? Maybe it's God's fault. He's holding things from you. He's withholding from you. We are freed from demonic oppression with God's word. When God reminds us in his word of how good he is to us. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God demonstrates his own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf, on my behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You have to bathe in the scriptures and let the Holy Spirit fill your heart on a regular basis with the truth of God which confronts the lies of the enemy on a regular basis. Do you do that? Are you arming yourself on a daily basis? Do you enlist the help of the people you see in this room around you, your church family, your friends who are believers? Do you enlist them to say, hold me accountable, help me? Because there's no question about it. If you're not being oppressed in some way by the enemy today, you will be. You will be. God tells us about our own souls that our souls can be freed from demonic oppression with God's word. Tearing down fortresses. Not sneaking over the wall, not going around the corner, but tearing it down. Meeting it head on. And saying, no, that is not true. Telling the enemy, no, that is not true. It's not a very popular thing today, is it? When we talk to our friends and we're talking about things of spiritual matters to just hit it head on, we want to go around. Well, let's not talk about those things because they're just hard to talk about. Pull the rug out, folks. You've got to address the sin issues in your life, in the life of the church, in the life of those around you. God wants us to live freely, to be free. Human souls also have a small window for choosing Christ. As we go back to Mark 1, and this is our last point. Jesus tells him in verse 25, be quiet, come out of him. And throwing him into convulsions, verse 26 says, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. And they were all amazed how tragic. The next words. They were all amazed 
so that they debated among themselves saying what is this a new teaching with authority he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee this tells us something important about time there is a good time for believing and that time is today at this time it was on that day that was the time that all of those people that were in Jesus presence at that moment that was the time for them to believe but they didn't believe they debated. They asked questions. What is this? What could this be? But God in his grace and mercy would extend time. And he does today for whatever reason. Extends the time so that people will come to faith. But do you notice what's happening right here? The time for the demons was over. When Jesus showed up, they knew about him from ages past. And they still continued to do their work for their leader, Lucifer. But when Jesus comes on the scene, the time for explaining, the time for going over the details, the time for debate is over. Jesus doesn't entertain him. He tells him to shut up and come out. My how many Christians, my how many people today who consider themselves religious, my how our neighbors and our family members and those that we love need to realize that now is the time, today is the time to shut up and come out. Do you believe in Christ or not? Are you going to follow Jesus or not? Stop playing games. The time for this demon was over. He was cast out screaming. Aren't you glad that when Jesus came, he treated the demons like this, but he didn't treat his disciples like this? He could have, but he didn't. He's not treating you like this today. God's grace has been extended. The time for believing is today. The time to be vigilant is today. To live purposefully is today. At this point in verse 27 and 28, they were beholding Jesus before he went to the cross. So you might give them a pass and say, well, they didn't know enough about Jesus. How about Jesus after he died? He was buried. And he rose again. And he appeared with nail-pierced hands and nail-pierced feet and, a, and, and, and scars in his side where the spear pierced his side. How much grace would we give this crowd at that point knowing that Jesus didn't have to do that, but he did it. 
He did it to save your soul. Would they still have debated? Would they still have stood back in amazement? And said, oh, we're so amazed at Jesus. What an amazing thing he did. What an amazing sacrifice. What an amazing person. There are so many people today who live today who are amazed by Jesus. Who will not take a step forward for Jesus. Being amazed by Jesus will not get you anywhere. Being amazed by Jesus will not deliver you from your sin. Hebrews chapter 3 verses 12 through 13 tells us, tells the early church, believers in the early church that we should be careful how we walk. That we should take care. Listen to what he says. Take care, brethren. This is Hebrews 3, 12 through 13. Take care, brethren, lest there should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart in falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Peter would write in his letter to the church, be careful, be vigilant, the enemy, your enemy, Satan, roams around like a lion, seeking whom he may devour. The Bible tells us there is a right time there's an important time there's a good time for believing it also tells us that there is a bad time to start believing folks there is a there is a bad time to start believing in Jesus listen to me it's when he returns and that could be in the next couple of seconds that could be another millennia from now. We don't know. We do know this, that no one's going to know the time of his coming. The Bible says he's going to come like a thief in the night. At an hour, at a time, when no one is expecting him. That is not the time to start believing in Jesus. The time to believe and to follow him is today. In Revelation 9 Sorry, 19. There is a stark contrast between the way Jesus comes as a rabbi from Nazareth. It's contrasted with the time he came as a baby in a manger. He's coming again. Listen to how, starting in verse 11. I saw heaven opened, John wrote. Behold, a white horse, and he who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems, and he has a name written upon him which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. 
And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has written a name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come, assemble for the great supper of God, in order that you may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of the commanders, and the flesh of the mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both men uh, free and slaves, and small and great. And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs of his pre- in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire with, which burns with brimstone. That is the wrong time to decide. That is a bad time to believe in Jesus. Philippians says in Philippians 2 that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow every tongue confess in heaven, on the earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord. It is going to happen. That everyone is going to cry out like this demon did. And they're either going to shout Because of deliverance, they're either going to shout because Jesus is their king or they're going to shout in writhing pain and disappointment like this demon. That time has not come yet. But it is. C.S. Lewis once wrote in regards to this reality. He said, God will invade But I wonder whether people who ask God to interfere openly and directly in our world quite realize what it will be like when he does. When that happens, it is the end of the world. When the author walks onto the stage, the play is over. God is going to invade, all right. But what is the good of saying you are on his side then when you see the whole natural universe melting away like a dream and something else? Something that never entered your head to conceive comes crashing in. Something so beautiful to some of us and so terrible to others that none of us will have any choice left. For this time, it will be God without disguise. Something so overwhelming that it will strike either irresistible love or irresistible horror into every creature. It will be too late then to choose your side. There is no use saying you choose to lie down when it has become impossible to stand up. That will not be the time for choosing. It will be the time when we discover which side we really have chosen whether we realized it before or not. Now, today, this moment, is our chance to choose the right side 
God is holding back to give us that chance. It will not last forever. We must take it or leave it. There is a bad time to start believing. Don't wait until it's too late. Believe today. Follow Christ today. Because there's coming a day when when we when when every person hears Jesus' voice, it will no longer be a time for choosing. It'll be a time of separation. Jesus invites us today to choose not the broad path that everyone else takes, the path of religious discussion, of debates, trying to figure things out before I give my life to Jesus. That broad path, he says, it leads to destruction. There's a narrow path. And few are they who find it. It's the path that leads to life. Jesus says, I am the path. He says, I am the way. The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He extends that today. But it won't last. So, brothers and sisters fellow believers, followers of Christ in the room, let this be a challenge to us, an encouragement to us to be all about God's business. To leverage our life, to, 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 to lay ourselves before him to say, I know there are people in my life that need to hear the voice of Jesus. You may feel unable to convince people. That's okay. That's okay. Paul says, to some we are an aroma of life unto life, to others we're an aroma of death unto death. Yet we share the gospel. We live out the gospel. We display the gospel. We announce that the king has come and he's coming again. And some will reject him. Some will say no. Some will say I'm still thinking about it. Share the gospel. Pray for those around you. Look forward to the day of his coming. Be vigilant. Stay actively involved in your church. Stay actively involved in the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit pour that truth over you as you hide his word into your heart. And if you're here this morning and you've never followed Christ, you've never received him as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. Now is the time. Call upon him, believe in him, and follow him. And when you step out in faith and you say yes to what the Holy Spirit is pressing upon your heart and mind today, he will give you understanding in time according to his own wisdom. But don't debate. Don't be amazed at Jesus. Surrender to him.